Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And uh, and you're here. You've tuned in once again to the Church Planner Podcast. Welcome. You sounded tired when you did. Like, <sighs> Well, no, because I didn't want to do the same thing I've been saying. You're blessed enough. You're, you're smiled upon by the Almighty enough to listen to another episode of the Church Planner Podcast. I didn't, I didn't want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. It's probably good. It's probably good. Do you, you uh, yeah, and have you by any chance, um, have you, whoa. Are you going to finish the sentence or are you? Whoa, dude, I just had a senior moment. I Told literally you. just froze up in my brain, have no clue. I was saying something and it's gone. It's, it's, it's wow. out of there? That's what it looks like, folks. That's how it begins. Well, just so you know, I've never... Because <laughs> you were asking me, have you ever, and then you had your senior moment, so I just thought I'd answer. I've never. That was an appropriate response to that. Okay. So uh, what's been up, man? What, what have you been up to lately? Well, a couple things. Um, first wait, wait, wait. We, uh, today's the last day. I'm touching my book. Okay. Now, can we move on to something else other than your book? Yeah, so I'm touching my book today, the very last time. It's 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 uh, It actually has to be. Final edits, everything turned in today, so that'll happen. But Pete's really bored of that subject. So, what if I mention? Actually, you I just like making fun of you about it. What if know? I mention you this time, which I, I haven't? First of all, uh, I know I'm not even going to be brought up in like the acknowledgments or you know, thanks to Pete for helping me shape my Ooh. intimate opinions on church planning. 
Go if on. it wasn't for seven years of Church Planner Podcast and I'm Church Planner Magazine, good. really led by Pete Mitchell, of which I was just merely a participant, I wouldn't be able to share this incredible knowledge. That's you think that'll that's sell? what I'd like to see. I, that might. I mean, hey, if it sells, let's do it. Of let's, course, let's it'll sell. Of course, so I could I could put Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell as authors. Could do uh, that. well, I thought that's what we had agreed to. Fitty, 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 fitty. You know what's funny is I recently was listening to a guy named Bill Bryson who writes about living in the UK and uh, the British love him. Like I don't know if he's really uh, uh, well known here, but he writes books like. Uh, notes from a small island. I'm a stranger here myself. So, as an American coming back, I'm I'm re-listening on Audible. That should be a sponsor to Bill Bryson. Yeah, Audible.com. Uh, I mean, we had a we had an affiliate. We had an affiliate link for him. We need to use that. Of course, I, I never see a penny of that. But it's, it's I, funny, I've never gotten a piece of my book royalty. So you know, there's that. <laughs> so. Anyways, the, the kind of funny thing is, though, um, the, uh, the, oh, I'm teasing. Twice? twice? No, but coming, no, I was teasing. But w- what's funny is I'm listening to him, and he's super good um, just, you know, uh, communicating what it's like as an American after living, like, a huge chunk of your life in the UK, and it's hilarious, but he was talking about a book contract that he made where the guy calls him up and it was for that book. I'm a stranger here myself that talks about readjusting life back in America and feeling like an outsider. And he goes, you know, so the agent or the uh, publisher calls him up and he's like, Hey, uh, you know, Hey, we've got this idea for a book, blah, 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 blah. Can you do it? And he goes, uh, actually, this is the worst time I can't do it. And the guy's like, Hey, that's great. That's great. Oh, thanks so much. We knew you'd come through. And he's like, whoa, whoa, wait. No, 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 no. I said I could not do it. And the guy has this entire conversation with him the whole time. He's not even listening to him. And at the end, he's like, the guy goes, great, great. Okay, well, we'll send the contract right over. Click. And he goes, he obviously was doing other things. He must have been like talking to multiple people at once. Didn't hear a word I said. It was just a formality. And he goes, that's how I got this book. And he still did the book. He still did the book. So apparently the other guy was right. He was right. Yeah. I mean, you know, but is it ever a good time to write a book? That That's what I'm looking at right now. Like I, I keep telling myself, I will never do this again. So like we ran the boys. Whatever. You're like, oh, I'm an author. Oh, look, I got Zondervan. Oh, look, I got David. I mean, you are like being an author is a big deal to you. Well, I, I don't think so anymore. Hey, just because so you know, just so you know, I'm a best-selling author, and you never hear that from me. So what, what's funny, though, it, it's funny because Joel Hughes is actually working on the discussion questions because the guy that's editing mine edited Tim Keller's. And so I went to my editor and said, hey, um, I don't I don't got it in me to write this. I'm so fried and burnt out. And he goes, you know, Tim Keller, that was his deal. He goes, I actually wrote his questions. Well, Joel Hughes is writing mine. And the funny thing is, Joel goes, you know, if I've learned one thing from you, it's that I don't want any of this and I don't want to be a celebrity. And I was thinking, A, I'm not a celebrity. Like, I'm so small potatoes. Like, you and I know, like, we have no fame, right? Like, we run this, but we have zero fame. And, you know, it's like, no, nobody really knows who I am. And as a missionary, I'm totally cool with that. 
Um, but to be honest, I, I, when he said that, I was like, you know, here's the thing. You don't get into writing books on church planning to A, be famous or B, to make money. You just don't. You do it for the same reason you and I have done this podcast, and that is to freaking help church planners. Well, maybe one of these days, these publishers are going to realize there's no money in doing the book, and they'll wise up and stop doing the books. I don't, yeah, it is a business. I mean, no doubt. Because they're not doing it to further the kingdom. They're doing it to make a profit. They are doing it. Yeah, they are. And I, I think there's both. Knowing the people that I work with, I think it's both. I'm not saying honestly. they don't want to. I'm saying the yeah. leadership, absolutely not. I mean, Zondervan especially, they are all about the profit. David C. Cook, I don't know them as well, but Zondervan, because of who they're owned by, they have turned down books that have called out prosperity, uh, pro- prosperity gospel people because that does affect their parent company. So, yeah, they're, they're about the money for sure. Oh, show. Yeah, it's it's hard, you know. And I it, the publish the Christian publishing world in general is difficult because, as you mentioned, there are books that need to get out there, and they're maybe so paradigm shifting that they won't sell, and so they don't. So that's yeah. what's good about self publishing, to be honest. Because, like, like for me, I had a book on sequential church planning, which really I thought was going to make it into this book. And the more I worked on, the more I'm like, no, this isn't the place for that. Like, this is a church planning book. There is sequential planning in it. But I have a whole nother manuscript that will have, most likely I'll publish it with with Alan Hirsch. Um, He's got a kind of like a little mini publishing company. But um, to me, that's a big deal, you know. But other than that, man, I'm building my house. Um, Not not a lot going on, Uh, you know, uh, throwing online conferences with Exponential. And, uh, not, not a lot, not a lot. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And I got to say like exponential, they can innovate things very quickly. Um, I, I was a little shocked when I came on because things were moving so fast with COVID-19, like they pivoted dude fast. And uh, right now they're, they're throwing these online conferences, excuse me, which you know how like we do, the Bible- do they do they cost? So they cost, but they're getting ready to make this thing called the hub, which is like an online community free. Um, it's free access. And you literally, Pete, like it'll be limited to first come, first serve, but you'll literally get um, like you get uh, um, live interactive coaching, like with Jeff Vanderstel or with, you know, all these guys that you would have to pay top dollar for. And they're starting to do that. Um, that's my project. I actually run the hub. So it's oh, so it's never gonna cool. happen. I got you. It's already happening. Like, I'm, uh, no, I'm not if you're running it. it. Not if you're running it. <laughs> you got no Pete. It'll never happen. It'll, it'll live in this. Happen. It'll I live have in this other area. Of, of, hey, oh, I can I can get other Pete's. Oh, Pete's a dime a dozen. There's a dime a dozen of Pete's. <laughs> There's a million of you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So uh, yeah, so uh, I'm running that now, and it, it's really fun. I mean, it's really and there's a lot of young people coming through it, and they're. They're hearing the right things. That's mm. that's what's good. I, I feel like, you know, if if we continue to channel the right voices on this thing, it's like what we do with the Bible Inner, you know? I mean, just where people came in. For those of you who don't know, Bible Inner Circle, Pete was training you to start business and be a consultant. And I don't think I was doing much of anything, but I know some of my training, Jump School was on there. Uh, which Jump School? You decide. But it was on there and uh, jump school the musical. 
Jump School the Musical. It's going to be playing on Disney Plus soon with Hamilton the Musical, which uh, I didn't know what that was. They sent me an email. I'm like, what's that? Apparently, there's a musical about Hamilton. It's been a big deal. Do you know You've that? never heard about that? No. It's a big uh, thing on Broadway. Apparently, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know any of those songs. I'm not a musical guy. The only... I think it's the only musical play... I mean, it's a musical that I've ever been to is Les Mis. That's a great musical. Maybe two or three times I've been to it. It's good. It's really good. good. So I, you know, I went to Phantom of the Opera and I, it was cool. Like the, the stage effects, but I didn't like the music. You know what? I take that back. I think I went to Phantom as well, but didn't like it as much. as yeah. It was kind of weird. It was kind of, it was kind of like, all right, you know, I, that's the sewer stuff, you know, the horror aspect that was cool. But uh, I'll tell you the couple musicals that I actually like. So I, I don't like it. Like I saw La La Land and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You people like this and voted it for Oscars. What is wrong with society? I feel like La La Land, like the 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 fact that it hit number one, just reinforced, you know, and, and, and proves out that people are largely stupid. And that's why we have the Electoral College, right? Oh, La La Land is proof for the Electoral College. Of course, because the founding fathers knew people are stupid. We can't just let popular vote decide everything. We've got to have an Electoral College in place. That wasn't the reason that they had the Electoral College, but I like your your philosophy today. You know, you've said that before, dang it, and Pete. That's I, I have my own version of the truth that I'm sticking with. My I, own, I have no problem with that. Facts of history. Because yours actually fits today. People don't realize, hey, back then, they couldn't exactly have everybody come from where they live to go vote in D.C. so they could actually get the vote. They had to do it locally <laughs> so they could actually send Dude. one stinking guy to go vote. Dude, D.C. is a, tr- like, the more you learn. So I was born in D.C. And you're Were so you really? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was born that. in D.C. I was born at George Washington Memorial, where they took Reagan when he got shot. So uh, I, I actually, yeah, so my family's all up in Virginia on my dad's side. But um, I was born there. It, it's funny. Like, so, like, a lot of people don't know that the reason that the capital's in D.C. is because that was considered the line between the North and the South. And that the uh, there was a, a deal made that if it might have been Hamilton, I can't remember. I think it was Hamilton that if he balanced the federal budget, that he said, "I'll do it," but you have to move the capital from Philadelphia, um, Pennsylvania, to Washington D.C. And that that's how it got there. Interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So, uh, so I do know some history, Pete. I'm just saying I like my facts. I feel like we need to have that little star with the rainbow behind it. The more, you know, like come across (laughs) the screen right now. Well, I'll tell you another little factoid, you know, the, the, okay. So I'm not cool with taking down like statues of Teddy Roosevelt, one of my heroes, uh, one of my heroes, Washington, you know, love, love him or hate him flawed. All these guys were flawed. Um, I don't mind the Civil War statues coming down. What a lot of people don't realize is many of these were, I mean, you shouldn't just tear them down and spray paint them. Um, you, you should probably go through the proper channels. But, you know, I, the Civil War uh, statues, they, um, many of them, I didn't know this, um, they were erected during the um, the Civil Rights Movement, after Civil Rights Movement, as a way of kind of, a lot of them, two two waves. One, the first wave of Civil War statues for Confederate figures is when those people started dying 
uh, after the Civil War, and they wanted to commemorate him. Second time was to, to actually show white dominance in um, a lot of the southern states. So that, that's a little interesting tidbit that makes you think. I always oh, find okay. it interesting that that most Americans think that the Civil War was fought over slavery. Right. And it's like, no. I mean, I'm not saying that wasn't an was issue in it. It, it was yeah, a part of it. Yeah. But it was not like, and I go, do you really think a bunch of white guys from the North were going to go kill their brothers and cousins and die themselves to free black people? No, it was not fought right. over slavery. Slavery right. was absolutely an issue, but that's not what it was fought over. And as this uh, one, one pastor online who I'm uh, Facebook friends with, he goes, there's a reason that the Underground Railroad ended in Canada and not the North. <laughs> right. Oh, that's I mean, a good point, man. That's yeah, really I was like, point. that's a really good point, you know. So, but but it like uh there's a there's a scene in The Simpsons where Apu is trying to get uh his citizenship. They're like, uh, what was the reason for the Civil War? And he goes, Well, actually, it was uh several reasons. There was economic, and then he starts going in, and they go, just say slavery, just say slavery. <laughs> <laughs> That's rad. That's rad. Well, you know, and it, it's funny. It, it was states' rights, but slavery was the focal issue. Yeah, but it, but even I mean, rights. Lincoln even was the the uh, f- from what I know, he was the only president to submit to Congress a uh, amendment to the Constitution, which basically said you could keep slavery if you don't leave. You know, it, it said each state really? could decide it. He was the wow. only president because he didn't want to split the country. So I mean it. To say that it was, oh, well, you know, the North was going to go free all the, the slaves. No, that's, it yeah. was absolutely a part of it. You can't remove yeah. it yeah, from it. For sure. But, you know, but it's just, it's the whitewashing of, uh, of our history. Well, here's the, the thing. Meat, what we want nobody, nobody likes inaccurate facts, Pete. So when you talk about the Electoral College, let's be accurate, please. But, you know, nobody likes... Nobody likes to be told something that's not true. So with a lot of the um, a lot of the, the things that are coming out right now, people don't know what to think. And so therefore, you know, uh, but I think, you know, listening to it again, I'm all for the removal of Southern uh, Confederate propaganda. You know, I'm all for the removal of the, the, the Southern Confederate flag. I think it's a pain point. I, I think we're past it. I don't see the point in, in keeping it. There's other things we can do. I'm all for the removal of people that fought in the Confederate War and lost, removing their statues. I'm all for that. I have no issue with that whatsoever. What I do think we need to be careful of, however, is the the canceling that's going on, where if I don't like that and that makes me uncomfortable, I get rid of it. For example, that would be like saying, get rid of the Holocaust Museum. Now, the Holocaust Museum... Uh, there are multiple Holocaust museums all over the world, but, you know, there's Dachau, there's, you know, others that they need to be there. And we need to remember lest we repeat. So uh, right now I am seeing, and sorry to wax political on this, I am seeing more evidence of fascism and fascist behavior from people claiming that they are anti-fascist, Of course, um, yeah. you know, which which I think many of these people, A, they don't have jobs, right? Many of the people that are out there, they, they don't have jobs. They're not a part of society. This system has become the evil. It's not reform the system. It is the system. What they'll do is they'll do what they did in the French Revolution, which is they all of a sudden go, oh, that guy over there, let's go get him. And then somebody goes, what about that guy? And the mob runs over and they tear everything down. 
They kill everyone who's got a, a, a semblance of intelligence. And in the end, it's them. Like, they can't decide on the name for their thing. They can't, you know, so when you look at the Chaz, the chop, that is what it looks like when revolution happens in the wrong way, right? Um, the, 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 that's what it looks like. When, when the American Revolution happened, you had people in place. They knew what in the heck they were doing. And yes, they were rebels. And yes, they overthrew their government. And yes, they resisted. And yes, they, but they did it in a way that was, you know, trying to do it lawfully. When that didn't work, it became war. And they had systems in place to make sure that they could actually run a country. So these aren't the same things. You know, I see people trying to, to draw comparisons. It's not the same thing. However, I do think that um, what will happen in our country, which is what always happens, is the change will not be significant and things will go back to, to normal. For example, when I was in the exponential prayer meeting last week, um, somebody made the comment that um, he prayed and it was beautiful. He, he, something to the effect, and I, I, I wrote down what I could and I, I improved it, I, I admit. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. But, um, but, but I, to the best of my ability, I wrote down what they said. And it was something effective. Lord, forgive us for being angry at things that are just, for being, uh, what was it, um, too, oh, hold on, let me look at it. I, I wrote it down right here. For being, do, 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 <laughs> where'd it go? Uh, 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 I'm not meant to have it. <laughs> I lost it. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Peyton. Um, but it was something to do with, you know, um, being angry about things that are unjust, being um, distracted by, too easily distracted by things that are irrelevant, and being too easily satisfied with change that is insufficient. And I thought, man, that that's how it is. That's what we do is we we will have this hoopla change won't really happen right everybody kind of defaults back to their entrenched positions nobody really changes and we end up back where we are and we will end up back here again because the changes weren't made because dialogue didn't happen because we didn't talk instead it got politicized it became you know polarized on republican conservative democrat liberal it's ridiculous you know? Yeah. Sorry. That was a long rant, Pete. Mic drop. Um, Jump School, the musical, side by side with Hamilton, dropping on Disney Plus this week. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Let's well, it certainly is, gritty. Pete. It certainly is time for this week's topic. So it, here's what we thought we would do. We thought... And we try not to do that too often because that gets us in trouble. But we thought, wouldn't it be great if we actually got back to talking about church planning? Uh, I don't, I don't understand what exactly is church planning. <laughs> well, glad you asked, Pete. You know, we want to we want to kind of start walking you guys through what it actually means to plan a church, and uh, we haven't really. Uh, excuse me, that was breakfast. Only professionalism at the Church Planner Podcast. I want to talk about what it means to plan a church versus starting a church. And um, one of the things that, that, that I think is important to know is there are two things that you can do. You can either start a church, kind of like a business startup, or you can plant a church. And um, 
I don't know if you if you've seen the movie uh, Dead Poet Society. Oh yeah, but in in that movie, right? Like he starts off by going, you know, oh captain, my captain. Sorry, oh, so good, so good. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, Mister Keating starts off the first day. He's like, uh, read this book, and they read this introduction by Doctor Evans J. Pritchard, and it, it talks about how you can map out a poem's excellence by its meter and its quality of verbiage. And he, he crafts it on a chart. He's writing as they're reading out loud. And then he turns around and goes excrement. And they just look at him and he's like, that is absolute excrement. And he starts lecturing. Like he kind of goes off on this rant and he, he, he tells him, you know, it's funny. It's Robin Williams as only Robin Williams can do, but he's like, I mean, you can't rate a poem like, oh, I like Byron, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I can. He carries a good tune, but I don't know if I can dance to it. And, you know, he just goes off on this thing about, you know, this is the stuff of life. You know, it's passion. It's the heart. And he goes, here's what I want you to do. Your first assignment. Take that chapter and rip it out. And then he goes, and they just look at him blankly. They're in like this really expensive prep school, Harvard prep school. He goes, that's right. You heard me. Rip it out. And he starts grabbing the waist bin and he brings around the, you know, right here, drop it in here. Rip. I want to hear ripping gentlemen. And like one of the guys starts to rip. One the other guy takes his ruler and starts to do it like very precise. And then people just start going nuts. And he goes, that's right. Be gone. The J Evans Pritchards of this world. And I, I don't know, man, like sometimes in church planning, when I hear what is being portrayed for church planners to do, I think to myself, man, that is so not church planning. Like that's something else. That's like the J. J. Evans Pritchard take on church planning. I call it church starting. I see a massive difference between church starting and church planning. And really, to be honest, I mean, as as I'm heading into this book, sorry, Pete, I had to mention the book. Um, Cha-ching! Um, that's I've what I'm that doing. Sound effect. I, hey, it's it's going to make its comeback because, you know, I just wrote it. I wrote two textbooks, Pete. And uh, I, what I should do is I should go through the, the other textbook that ended up on the cutting room floor. There's nothing like giving se- second best to your, your podcasting audience. But, uh, but you know, lo- looking at, at, at the world of church planning. They already have it. It's called Jump School. They, they got it oh, every which way. Oh, no, they don't. Well, uh, that would kind of be my third textbook, to be honest. Um, it really, I mean, think about it. Maybe I've written the reach. It's weird that I don't have a book on church planning, actually. It's kind of weird. But you do now, right? Oh, I do now. Yeah. But I'm just saying up to this point. When does point, it come like, out, by the way? Uh, March, 2021. Uh, let's hope, let's hope the world is open then. I don't know, man. Will there, will there still be a need for church planning in 2021? I don't know. It just depends on. Never mind. I'm not going to go there. Go on. Well, it, 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 I know where you're going. No, you um, don't. No, you don't. I do. Does that have to do with breaking two, the electric boogaloo? It has to do with Orange Man Bad. Orange Man Bad. <laughs> well, then I don't know where you were going. You're the only Orange Man I know, my friend. I'm just saying. Was that re-read, too far? Was that okay? Reread Daniel. Reread Daniel. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Three and a half years, man. Three and a half years. It's coming up. We got a few more days left. A few more days left. 
So, uh, so yeah, so, you know, going back to church planning versus church starting, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the tack that I'm taking in the book is, you know, kind of like, you know, the great theologian Led Zeppelin said, you know, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the, the path you're on. That reminds me of Bill and Ted's movie coming up. Remember when they went to heaven? You know, I did not like number two. <gasps> what? You were the one that liked that. I was like, that's oh my a gosh. stupid movie. Number two was the best. No, number one. Number one was great. You and I have such different tastes in movies. I, I'm almost amazed that we have found any common ground when it comes to movies. Dude. I, I, you know I what like I'm saying, them. though? Yeah. Like, we do. Totally different tastes. Okay, okay. Detour, best scene out of Bill and Ted. Go. I have no idea. I've never even thought about it. Bill and Ted's uh, bogus journey when they're dead. Number two, when he, if you guys Google this, uh, I forgot all about this scene until I saw it the other day when they possess their dads or uh, Ted goes and possesses his dad. His dad's a police chief and he's given the debrief to all the police. I know we're not supposed to talk about police, but uh, he, he goes, dude, get your dad to help us. So he goes inside of his dad and he, it shows him going into his ear and he goes, whoa, <laughs> he's like, dudes, we got to go help the princesses. And he just, the, the actor who does this does the best Keanu Reeves as Ted Preston ever. It's amazing. I'll take amazing. your word for it. And then, and then Bill Esquire goes uh he he goes and and gets inside of the other dude that and he goes I totally believe you dude you got to see it man so good I'll Anyways, google it yeah that was a that was a total total detour back to church planning back to church planning yeah see we haven't done this in a while we're 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 a little little uh little rusty on the old uh but you know here here's the things that you do right so uh, we're actually in a place right now where we have as a society this whole idea that um, we, uh, sorry, I'm, my electrician's knocking on my door as we speak. So oh, he wants uh, to say a, something to you or yeah, he's he working. Does. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, uh, I'm sorry. I got to tell him I can't, like, I totally can't talk right now, dude. I'm doing a podcast. Pete, say something intelligent. Alrighty then. Was that Elmo's world? That was Elmo's world. I don't know. Is that what it is? Yeah. Where's Tyrone when you need him for a sound effect, huh? I know, right? That dude can totally bust out Elmo. Yeah. Peyton's world. That's my world right now. This guy's knocking on my door nonstop. Mm. Buzz saws, hammers, roofs. So back to church planning. Paul did say, I laid a foundation like a wise and master builder. How was that for a segue? But, you know, here's the thing. When Paul laid his foundation like a wise and master builder, he's telling you that literally you can plan a church in the wrong way. If there's a wise way to do it, then there's a totally foolish way to do it. And even Jesus said, nobody builds unless he makes sure he's got the goods to finish the job. So like I'm on a building project now. And there's a lot of people that go into church planning and they think it's like they wake up one day, decide, you know what, <sighs> kind of like Nacho Libre. You know, I, I, I saw a, you know, a, a luchador in the, in the square today and 
people are shouting his name and giving him goodies. I think I would like that kind of respect. And they run out to plant a church. Now, we'll talk about calling, whether or not you're called. And, and my the, working on this book has completely wrecked. I mean, completely wrecked my entire view of what it means to be called to ministry. Hmm. I, I mean, I always had a little bit of an offbeat view anyways, but, and we've talked about that on previous podcasts. So we're going to kind of every week unpack what it means, but first we got to get it right. What it is, because if there's a wise way to plan a church, there's a foolish way. And it's very foolish to, 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 to just wake up one day and go, that seems like a good idea because you're putting your family on the line. You're, you're putting your security on the, you're, you're you're going to get chewed up and spit out. And the number of church planners that weren't church planners, that never should have been church planning, never should have been anywhere near leading a church plant. The statistics are bad. I mean, 70% of them fail. That's a challenged statistic. Ed Stetzer for years has challenged that. But um, I've been on the inside of big organizations. And I would say that's probably a low number. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I, I was in the North American Mission Board. I saw the figures. I saw the data. And I'm telling you, if, if Ed argues that 70 is not correct, um, based on LifeWay's research, let me, tell you, let me tell you a little bit about research. Church planning research on the figures, all, all I could go on Did was Did he say those, 70 was low or high? He said it was high and it was false. And, and, you know, no, no disrespect to Ed, but the problem is um, if, for example, in 2014, Lifeway, who Ed was with, they uh, concluded that 4,000 new churches opened their doors in 2014. And they said, well, that outpaces the 3,700 that have closed. But, and that was based on input from 34 denominations. The problem is, is think about that. If I have a Baptist or someone from NAM, I have another, uh, you know, maybe Reformed Church of America, um, PCA. These are all churches. Um, AOG, uh, you know, you name it. There, there's a million free Methodist, um, Nazarene. I've got all the, you know, 34 denominations. I would imagine they were the mainline ones. I've got all vineyard. Do you know that most church planners, um, they have multiple denominations that they join at one time? And we've talked about this, that the figures cannot be trusted. Almost every church planner I know who has partnerships has multiple partnerships. So those 34 denominations might have been literally reporting the same planners. Hmm. Because planners are kind of like NASCAR racers. You know, they've got all these stickers on their church plant. Like this one sponsors me and this one sponsors me and that one sponsors me. So to me, I mean, just seeing it where I'm at, um, all of those church plants, um, when when you say which church closed, um, you know, you're, you're, I mean, you could easily say, well, you know, you got the same. But the problem is at that time in 2014, record numbers of church planners were heading out and um, people don't always report that their church plant has closed. That's not the fun number. That's not the number that we collect or report. The number that we report is the ones that we're planting because that generates the money, mm. right? That generates the dollars. When we, it, denominations and networks aren't keen 
In fact, they don't. You ask them for those figures sometimes, see what happens. Hey, how many of what percentage are our church plants close? You won't get that number. I guarantee it. You won't be, they will not share it with you um, because that hurts the cause. And I'm not, I'm not trying to rip on denominations, but what I'm saying is for years, Pete, you and I have been doing this podcast and I'm jealous for church planners because as a missionary myself on the field for 12 years, being out there, putting my family on the line, being poor, like the other night I was, I was working cause I work early morning and late night on the book. Um, <laughs> let me tell you, exponential is a full-time job. Right. Like, you know, it's been even hard for me to find time for this podcast at at different times. But the other night I was working on a a chapter where I was contrasting the way we train. And and basically it was, you know, our guys, the the leaders that we train today are really well-versed at public speaking, um, you know, in a relatable kind of happy-go-lucky way. Um, Nothing offensive, um, nothing challenging. But they're really good at that. They're good at fashion. They're good at um, discussing the finer points of theology with other ministers over pour-overs. Um, they're really good at... But when Paul talks about what he and his, his co-workers went through, where he goes, we were naked, we were starving, we were locked up, we were beaten. Like, I only got to tell you, like, you know this from your dad. Like, as a church planner, I knew what it was to be hungry. I knew what it was not to have money for food at times. Um, I know what it is to be beaten. When when you go front line, it, it, it's tough, right? So when when I come back and I, I I've come back to the states, and I look at how planners are being trained, like it's going to be a walk in the park, like it's it's all about that Sunday service, and it's all I'm thinking you are you are literally setting these people up for failure. You're going to destroy their lives, and so I get angry. And so when you and I did jump school, you, you remember, like I, I had this passion, like they have to be trained correctly. And there's, I'm not saying I'm the only one. There are some, there are some people out there that are doing fantastic church planner training. Um, like for example, um, I think ARC associated, uh, uh, association of related churches. I think their training is good. Um, I think guys like Dan White Jr. And, um, Oh, shoot. Why am I blanking out on his name? The other guy. The other guy is with him. Um, shoot. I hate when I do that. Senior moment. Um, and uh, uh, there's there's a few others. Uh, there was one. Um, Caleb Kreider. And um, uh, shoot. Uh, what's wrong with me, Pete? I have no idea. I don't, who who it's cares? It's who cares? cares? Okay, cares? good. Yeah, so these guys are doing great, great training. You're right. And, and, and so, you know, there, there's some good people out there, but the reality is you cannot train a planter to do the, the, the little shake and bake. Like in other words, like you can't tell them that these six easy dance steps, this, these are the six crucial steps of church planning today, raise funds. And they're, they're told you're going to need hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you and I've talked about the millionaire next door and what that does. I mean, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that at all. I have no idea what you're talking about. Remember that book, The Millionaire Night? I never yeah, forgot. I totally, you, I totally remember the book, but I don't know what you mean in terms of this. So when you first brought that up, you were like, hey, you know, Millionaire Next Door basically uh, teaches you that your uh, kids, you connected it with the fact that if somebody's just giving you a bunch of money and there's nothing wrong with oh, giving, economic outpatient I, care is what they called yeah, it. 
Yeah, go into that a little bit because when you're only relying on funding and you're not working, you know, go go for it. Well, what they found is that when your parents or your grandparents leave wealth to the next generation, they called it economic outpatient care because it's money that you acquired without responsibility, without work. And therefore, it's the saying, easy come, easy go. And, um, and that's why the saying, uh, shirt sleeves, the shirt sleeves in three generations, like one generation will make it, the next one squanders it, and then the next one's got to go out there and do it again because it's all gone by the time it gets to that third generation. Um, Vanderbilts are a really good example of that. Um, they, uh, they had a reunion and when they had this reunion, they had all these, you know, family members got together. There was not a millionaire among them. All of it had been wasted by the time it had gotten down to them. And so the same thing happens in anything in business. Government's a great example, right? I mean, that's money without accountability, without responsibility. They didn't have to go out and earn it. They literally just stole it from us. <laughs> get my little taxation of theft in. I get that. I get that. And um, so the same thing absolutely happens in church planting. And I'm not saying that guys are out there wasting it, but there's a difference between you have to fund your church without someone else giving you a checkbook. Like you start to look at every little expense, you know, why are we spending money on this? Is there another way we can do it? Do we have to do it that way? Right. Um, Same thing happens in the, uh, in the movie industry, right? When a, a director starts out and he's got no budget, like he'll get imaginative and, oh, here's how we'll shoot that scene, you know? And then all of a sudden his, his next movie, they go, oh, here's a hundred million dollars to make it. Oh, how do I make an anti-gravity machine so my actors can float while I'm, you know, it's like, well, now I've right. got the money. Right. Yeah. Well, that's where a lot of the, uh, the innovative scenes like the John Ford, John Wayne scene, Westerns, you know, the doorway shots, I mean. A lot of that stuff came about because, like you said, they, they didn't have a huge budget. And they're like, well, you know, I could do this or do that. But, um, you know, uh, looking, looking at, um, you know, the, the fact that if you're told you need hundreds of thousands of dollars, for what? Like, oh, for advertising, for marketing, for this. Okay, that's great. But if you took all that away, could you church plant? Sure, you could. Because most missionaries, uh, they don't have that kind of money. Now, there's a strong case to be made that, um, you know, Paul had people like Erastus, like Phoebe, like um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila that were wealthy. Um, you know, that, that those are called gospel patrons. And they're very important. Even Jesus in Luke 8, verses 2 through 3, it says that there were three women that provided for him out of their means. And there's there's a, a, a great argument that there are times to be set aside, um, to leave your nets. Um, the Bible bends over backwards to tell you it's okay to get paid for ministry. It's no problem there. But often the money's not there for it when the mission needs it. So when, when the mission requires, um, you go do what you got to do. And so one of the things that I think is going to be a revolution in church planning in the future is teaching denominations and mission boards and networks how to do it on the cheap, if not how to do it for free. Um, because that, that's how I always did. And there's no connection. In fact, the, the reason the millionaire next door 
um, really resonated with me is I actually believe that the more money you pour into a church plant, the less lost it, it most like most likely will reach. Mm. Um, and, and, and that is because the, the, principles of church planning that we find in the New Testament can all be done for free, right? They don't, they don't cost anything. So when Paul sets himself aside or Jesus sets himself aside, it's to focus on disciple making, right? It's to focus on pouring into others. Now, uh, you and I know that um, we've talked about this a million times that Paul's uh, people work with their hands. And so uh, for our listeners, you guys are like, dude, we have like, a, you know, we've taken a one-on-one class of this. So I'll move to the second part. So number one, raise funds, hundreds of, hundreds of thousands. Sorry, I got detracted. Um, recruit enough people to ensure critical mass. Because again, you need a bunch of money and a bunch of people. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to mitigate failure. We're trying to eliminate the possibility that this won't work. That what won't work? Throwing your church service? Because the metric we're using is, well, enough people didn't come. And here we go. Here we go. Here it comes. They can't sustain a paycheck for the planner. That's what they're really thinking. They're not measuring like, how many lost people? Because they'll say that. Oh, no, we totally aren't. Lost reach. Lost reach. But they measure it by look at all these people. And they're not the same. I don't care if you have a church of 50, but those 50 people were unbelievers. Versus a church of thousands and 20 people came to faith. You tell me which one's better, right? If, if your metric is lost people, then be honest, right? So raise funds, hundreds of thousands, recruit enough people to ensure critical mass. And that, that's so you can like catch this wave, you know, and, and ride this wave to, to quote unquote success. Number three, brainstorm a catchy church name because branding is crucial in the church planning world nowadays. <laughs> nice logo. Got to have a good logo. That's, that's part four. Design a sexy logo that, you know, as you said back in the beginning, I, I would, hey, logo, logo for whatever we do. Never for my church, funny enough. Like, like Refuge Long Beach, I remember we, we had a logo and everybody hated it and fought over it. It was one that, that looked like a stone skyscraper refuge, rock refuge. And people fought over it. Like it was important. And I said, I remember you know, when it got changed, I was like, okay, you totally missed the mark of who you're trying to serve. You're not in Huntington Beach anymore. Right. It went to like this cool logo. I'm like, no, dude, this is Long Beach. So, so do this you know what ghetto of Long that? Beach? Yeah. Yeah, the first logo that we had designed, it actually more it more matched what we and oh then, and completely did. A millennial goes, oh, it's 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 oppressive, and you know it. And then he just came up with that one, and and here's a we which is never, a nice logo. I get it; it's nice, but it didn't fit we where you were. We never officially changed our logo. That's the irony. It was that. That individual was was had all the the power over the website and just changed it. And so, because that person kept changing my stuff, and I'm like, dude, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Stop changing my stuff, right? So, so it literally got, and I, and I remember at the time, this was my thought. We had two logos, and I couldn't give a rip. Right, I was like, yeah. you know what? It, so it was confusing because we had. One on our cards and one on our T-shirts. And I remember at the time going, and, and you and I were having this kind of debate in other circles. We were like, dude, the logo doesn't matter. Right. And it was funny because I got it when it came to church. 
I didn't get it when it came to this other stuff, you know, to me, all the, all the product stuff was branding that we were doing on the side, but, but for the church, I couldn't care less because I'm like, it's a freaking logo. No lost person's ever going to see it driving on there. I'm going, oh, nice logo. That really caught my eye. I think I'll go there. Like I knew that has nothing to do with anything, you know? And then number five, rent a building. Uh, number six, advertise, blast, and promote on social media and hope it's enough to fill the building on launch day. And now if you contrast that, um, that's church starting. It's a business startup. That's what you've just basically described, yeah. right? Everything you just described is a business startup. Those are the six steps of church planning that we train planners in. But if if you really look at it, oh, and I, I didn't even mention North American Mission Board. I, I would say North American Mission Board does a pretty good job. I mean, I was on that team for a number of years, but that's not why I say that. I mean, I, the, the team there was fantastic, Mac Lake and, and others. Um, and, and now the team there is even more incredible. But here's the deal. Um, they, uh, when, when Paul does it, right, um, this goes back to ripping out the Evans J. Pritchard pages, um, you watch Dead Poet Society, you watch Mr. Keating, that's like watching the Apostle Paul, right? You're inspired. You're like, man, that, what he's doing, who wouldn't love poetry if, if you thought about it? Like, who, who wouldn't? You read the book of Acts, that's the stuff that gets you excited. All those six things I just mentioned, did, did, did that excite anybody? Like, maybe if you're artistic, you think a logo's cool. Maybe, maybe I doubt most of that stuff excited any of you. Um, renting a building, advertising, jump school, the church, <laughs> jump school, the marketing course. Um, you know, but here's the thing, right? I, I just look at it and I look at the New Testament. What did Paul do? Paul pretty much did this. He preached the gospel. That's what he did. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. Now, well, he preached the gospel and he connected with people personally. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny because right now what people say is he discipled. He did. He did. I, I'm not going to take that away. Um, there is kind of right now a, a move away from evangelism. And I fight that hard in the book coming up where I say, no, actually, if he had just discipled, he wouldn't have gotten persecuted. He preached and that dude preached hard and he preached, he preached hard things. And it, it got him stoned. It got him beaten up. Paul was primarily, he even said, for this reason, you know, he, he says, I, I've, I didn't baptize because I was called to preach. I preached to you Christ and him crucified. Preaching was being a herald is the word that Paul did. He was heralding Christ um, to those who didn't know. And he even mentions where Christ is not named. Um, that was his deal was to raise the name and fame of Jesus everywhere he went. Church planning was cause and effect. It's what happened when he did that. And so uh, one of the differences between church planning and church starting is church starting focuses on the church. Church planting focuses on the gospel. And so this discipleship commitment, yes, that's part of the Great Commission, right? That we're to preach the gospel and make disciples. And uh, unfortunately, I would argue that if you spend all your time and energy pouring into those six steps that I laid out in modern church starting, uh, I don't call it church planning, um, that you won't have time to preach the gospel and make disciples. The preaching the gospel and making disciples is kind of the heart of it. And, and I see the two as, as really um, 
you you mentioned he related with people. So when you're preaching the gospel, that's what apostolic preachers do. They relate with people and they build community and relationship. It's part of the but I mean, also in his work, also when he was making tents, I mean, when he's at the workplace, yeah. he's connecting with people. Yeah, big time, big time. He was, I mean, that's the thing is he was, he was mixing. He was going where the people were at. Right. Nothing in that list that I read, raise funds, recruit enough people to ensure critical mass, brainstorm a catchy church name, design a sexy logo, rent a building, advertise, blast, and promote on social media. None of that has to do with that. None of it has to do with actually getting around people and mixing with them and making disciples, preaching the gospel. It's the opposite. So you can't call it church planting. Because church planting, by definition, involves sowing the seed of the gospel. That's what you're planting. The church only grows if the gospel is, is, is planted. So there's no planting actually happening. So I call it a, a church starting, like a business startup. And I hope that, hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, so we got to kind of define terms, and we're out of time. And that really, I mean, if, if all we did today was maybe just kind of throw out a, a, a new definition, this is a little taster of the old uh, church plantology book that'll be coming out. It's like Scientology. I can, I can make it like L Ron Hubbard. You know, I can have it like a volcano on the cover and it erupts. And why don't you <laughs> let's make for your other church planting book. I want a volcano on it erupting. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Church plantology. <sighs> so that's, that's the, that's the name of the book. He's obviously a fan of that. So yeah, but that's that's it, man. Is you know, church starting versus church planning. That's that's and that's what we're going to train planners to do, man. So if you tune in on the podcast over the next few uh, weeks, months, years, uh, we'll still be working through it. Uh, just training you how to. No, we're not going to work through the textbook, but we decided it would be good to actually get back to telling you how to plan a church. We figured every few years we'll uh, do that because you know, our, our I don't know about you, but. Um, just like in business, you're, you're always learning. I'm always learning. I know, I, I know, I know that I, there's a lot I don't know the more I get. I think when I first started planning, I knew I didn't know everything, but now I really know. The more I, I learned, than I thought. the more I learned, the more I realized how much I actually knew. <laughs> yeah. Or like Oscar Wilde said, right? Where he goes, I, I'm, I'm not young enough to know everything anymore. You know? So. I like it. Well, let me ask you something while you're, while you're, uh, you know, working on all this church planning stuff for the podcast, how do you do all your church finances? Well, I'm glad you asked Pete, because a little thing that I've had up my sleeve an ace in the hole, if you will, has been a little network or a little organization I like to call church simplify. (laughs) Just joking. Simplifychurch.com. Oh man, and we wonder Senior why they haven't. moments abounded, AP. Why haven't they left us already? Wait, what's that you say? Simplifychurch.com? What? I heard Josh Henry? What? Josh Henry. Josh Henry. He founded it. He was a church planner and he started for church planners. And it's called simplifychurch.com. And they take care of all your business, uh, financial needs, bookkeeping, all the stuff that you need, all of the, the nerdy stuff that you don't want to do that involves IRS and tax compliance and you know, accountant type stuff. They do all that. They will even do a virtual assistant. And where do I find them? Simplifychurch.com, Pete. Okay. Simplifychurch.com. Well, thanks, Peyton. I'll go check them out right now. <laughs> You'll be glad you did. Tell them well, Peyton Peyton sent you.
Yep, yep. Tell them that. Tell them that. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us today. This has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Magazine.com.